This is Counsel for Life, a podcast engaging conversations about mental health and the Christian life with licensed biblical counselors Beth Broom and Eliza Huey. Beth, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Eliza? I'm doing well. I'm really excited about our conversation today because this is going to kind of take me a little bit back um, to my grad school days. And so I'm going to- How really long try ago to... was that, Eliza? It wasn't that long ago. I think I graduated. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. And we're not going back to my high school days, which we won't talk about how long ago that was. Okay. You're off <laughs> but, the hook. Yes. But um, yeah, but I am going to try not to feel like I have to impress my professor because we are having one of my uh, previous professors from grad school on Dr. Phil Monroe. But those of you who might not know him, I want to tell you a little, uh, just a little snippet of what he is doing. And I'm going to actually let you, Phil, share. Can I, can I call you, Phil? Is that allowed? Absolutely. (laughs) I can, but not you. That's the rule. (laughs) No. Um, So he is the owner and director of Langberg Monroe, which you listeners probably recognize the name Langberg, which refers to Diane Langberg, who we have definitely praised quite a bit on this uh, podcast for her work that she has done really um, kind of groundbreaking work in the area that she has spoken into specifically the audience, I guess I should say, regarding the area that she has spoken into because she has been a uh, trailblazer, I would say, in many ways to uh, bringing the topic of abuse and um, trauma into places that don't talk about it much, mainly the church. Um, and so, uh, but Phil, why don't you tell us a little bit about your practice there? Because that is just so exciting for us to be able to know what you're doing with Diane there, but even just that, how how much you align with um, her model of care and so forth. So tell us a little bit about Langberg and Monroe. Yeah, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life was um, coming to work for Diane Langberg um, and to sit under her. I still do weekly supervision with her. Um, So most people know Dr. Diane Langberg, um, really a uh, trendsetter, I guess you would say, or a um, pioneer um, for sure. Pioneer really uh, in the area of trauma care before anybody even knew what PTSD and uh, really even sexual abuse was, especially in the Christian world. But um, so for the last 23 years, I've been here. And uh, in 2022, I took over the practice. Uh, Diane has, I don't know if you'd say retired because she's writing a book and she's doing (laughs) podcasts and she's speaking. She just changed what she does, but we still partner together here uh, at the practice. But um, it's been a good landing for me. I've been a, a professor. I've been worked uh, internationally with clergy, training them about understanding trauma care. And this has just been a good place to uh, come back to and continue my work. Love it. Well, and like you said, uh, you have done work not just here in the States, but internationally in various places that they have seen just the darkness of trauma in very real ways that I think in many uh, circumstances the U.S. has never seen before. And so grateful for the work that you're doing in training people and even caring for people in uh, various areas of the world. So um, I want to just jump in, though, with a question for you regarding, so you are a psychologist and uh, you practice, um, obviously, in in trauma is an area that you practice in a lot, that you you speak into quite a bit. How has your faith 
influenced your approach to trauma therapy? Because I think that's a question people wrestle with, especially I would say biblical counselors or people who are more like lay counselors in the church and so forth. How has your faith influenced trauma therapy, but also how do you kind of integrate the clinical experience that you bring in and would find very important with your faith? So can you kind of speak to that question? Yeah, I think uh, most people who come for therapy and counseling are coming in a time of distress. Um, and of course, with uh, somebody who's experienced a traumatic event and therefore had uh, ongoing traumatic reactions to that, they are in a significant amounts of distress. And when you are in distress, you are often asking the why questions, the big existential questions. Why did this happen? And how long am I going to be in this hell, right? Mm-hmm. How do I get out of it? Mm-hmm. What do I need to do? Those are the questions of faith, aren't they? Mm-hmm. they they're the questions from Job. They're the questions from just about every single character in the Bible. And so our faith speaks to that. So to me, it just feels like a natural location of, of really being able to wrestle with so what's the point of life? Who am I? Who is God? Why are we here? And you know what's interesting? Um, the the In the world of psychology, they've been asking some of those same questions. And some of the researchers, uh, people like Ken Pargament, uh, who's done mm-hmm. a lot of work on asking, well, how does our understanding of faith and spirituality, how does our religious activities help or hinder our recovery? Mm-hmm. Um uh, and they've found that actually when you're in a, a safe uh, religious context, faith context that can listen to your pain and bear witness with you, you get better faster. Yeah. Um, so some of those things have been just how faith and understanding of human life go together. I also think one area uh, that's also of interest of in, in integrating together is just understanding the body. Mm. Uh, I think sometimes in Christian communities, we have minimized the role of the body. We've been sort of like these souls encapsulated in this thing that's going to go away. But actually, God has made really intricate things that we are, right? And so understanding how it works um, and how we express our faith through our bodies and uh, how trauma can affect that, right, is really interesting to me. So all of that- Can you give me an example of that? Like how trauma impacts our body and how that works out in expressing our faith. Like what, what would you maybe say in light of that? Sure. So when somebody is struggling with trauma, they usually live in a hyper vigilant or always on alert, uh, uh, you know, way of being, they can't ever turn it off. Um, They try as they can. And, um, and so part of, you know, the work of trauma care is learning to ground oneself and to be present, not to be flung back into the, that, you know, triggered experience. Mm-hmm. And so for many people, that is finding tools and methods in order to stay present with God and to express mm-hmm. that. Another area is the role of lament. Um, it's mm-hmm. an area of the scriptures that we don't actually preach and teach on that much mm-hmm. and come to find out lament is often the path uh, or the beginning of the path of healing. Mm-hmm. Um, lament, the ability to speak out my pain in complaint form, no less, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. God. How long, O oh Lord? Do the dead mm-hmm. praise you? You know, mm-hmm. things like this. Yeah. Um, 
it is uh, an essential part of the healing journey. And it's yeah. one thing that our our Christian faith really emphasizes if we would have let it. Yeah, no, that's good. We actually had Mark Rogop on talking about that. And he said, you know, if, if one third of the Psalms are lament, I can expect one in every three days, <laughs> I'm probably going to experience something that is going to require that. And so, um, yeah, that, and, and, and I, I resonate with you in just Judith Herman, where she talks about trauma makes every person a theologian mm -hmm. and it does it wrestle, you wrestle with these deep yes. meanings of things, especially in your faith. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's really good. Yeah. So you, you mentioned this a little bit, you started talking about it, but I want to just delve into it a little bit more when you're working with, well, first of all, I'm assuming you work with trauma survivors who are believers, who want to talk about their faith in the midst of the counseling process. And so I'm curious, you've talked a little bit about it, but challenges, opportunities that arise for you as the counselor, when you're working with someone who's a believer and they're having these wrestles and they want to delve into, you mentioned somebody who can bear witness, which that's mm -hmm. so good and important. You get to be that person. But I'm also curious as you think about the counseling process is a bit of an incubator, right? Like we're together with one person, there's an individual component, but then linking that to the community of faith. Like I'm curious, I know that wasn't on our script, but I'm curious how you think about that with clients um, how you help them with that concept, because obviously trauma creates a lot of isolation for us and, you know, we, we pull away. And so the natural inclination is to maybe remove oneself from the community of faith. So I'm curious how you think about that with clients. Yeah, there's a couple of different challenges that come to mind. Um, actually, one of the ones that I'm thinking about is where people are really struggling with a lot of uh, self-criticism. Um negating themselves. I think actually this is something that's more common amongst Christians than it is actually of non-Christians. I agree. <laughs> this idea that I should be doing it differently, that I must be doing it wrong, um, that uh, there's this extra layer of shame, which is, you know, God says, don't be afraid, don't worry, you know, trust. And I'm, I don't feel any of those things. So I must be doing it wrong. And mm unwinding that has is is a significant challenge because of their messages that they've either internalized or they've received about what healing should be um what does life look like in a broken world um how does faith change our experience of a trauma trigger mm. if it does at all right um, because for some people is i shouldn't be feeling this way and mm. And as a good Christian, I shouldn't be feeling this way. So I think that's actually one of the largest problems that we are struggling with. The second one is there are maybe many things in the scriptures and in the Christian tradition that I really love, but um, my clients do not, or they've been harmed by it. And so being alert and aware for what kind of church hurt have they experienced? Mm -hmm. Um, and recognizing sometimes clients come in and they've got something that they're really angry about or hurt about. Maybe I even think that they've got a, a misunderstanding of this particular part of the tradition or of this per particular part of faith, but it's not my job to correct them. You know, therapy yeah. is not a place to correct your theology. It's a place to explore things and wrestle. We see what happened when Job's friends tried to correct his theology. They ended up, you know, on the wrong side of things uh, rather quickly. So I think those are two of the main challenges um, that we have is just 
the patience for both the client and the therapist to let the process unfold. And there might be a correction of theology that transpires as you walk alongside. And, and obviously that's our hope is that, that they would, and I, I say that often to the counselors that I train, it's like, it's always so much more impacting if the counselee, the client can actually come to those truths through your questioning, through your exploring, through your walking with, that they can become more of like that theologian that aligns with God's word through their through their understanding of their story and their understanding of the character of God and so forth, letting them come to that. So it might end up being corrective. Yeah, let me yeah. Let me just in, in a little bit of a pushback, which is of course, you're you're absolutely right. But which part of the of the theology and the character of God am I going to hang out in today? Right. Sometimes we want to wrap it all up in a good systematic way, but Psalm 88 is darkness is my closest friend, is the way it ends. Yeah. Yeah. Lamentations ends on if you haven't forgotten us forever. Yeah. Um, these kinds of things. Is it okay for me to hang out there and not have it all in balance? Yeah. Yeah. And are we willing to stay the course when somebody yeah, needs that, to, yeah, as you tension. said, hang mm-hmm. out there? Like mm-hmm. that That doesn't mean we just touch on Psalm 88 and move on. Like sometimes that is when we say darkness is my closest friend, it takes a while for something to be a friend, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. good. Good word. It's helpful. So I'll ask another question here. This is getting a little bit sticky. So answer as you prefer, as you like, but there is tension at times. Um, And when I say tension, I'm talking about, you know, in in different perspectives, and we're even kind of touching on that a little bit, there can be some tension of what does trauma care really truly look like. And uh, so how would you address potential tension between the perspectives that pertain to trauma care, whether that that tension can come with regards to, um, you know, faith and theology, or even just what is uh, the best approach to care. So what advice would you give to people regardless of their approach or, you know, regarding these tensions that can be there? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I've been thinking about this um, and uh, not plugging my my blog, but I have written on it this week, actually. And so if people want to go more to that, they can go go there. But um, um, I do think that one of the big tensions is which model are you coming from? You know, Mm -hmm. are you coming from, uh, you know, the Judith Herman model of, uh, you know, safety, stabilization and reconnection. And then what does that look like? Are you coming from more of a biblical counseling model? Are you coming more from uh, some of the more newer technologies, so to speak, uh, in, in psychological care? Uh, including things like EMDR, of course, uh, uh, cognitive processing therapy, narrative exp- uh, you know, exposure therapy, or are you even going more newfangled and coming up with things like ketamine use or transcranial <laughs> yes. uh, magnetic stimulation? Um, I'd say one of the big tensions here is how quickly can we get you to some other side of trauma? That's where it seems like the focus of all of our field is, whether it's biblical counseling, all the way over to sort of these new technologies, how quickly can we get you to the other side? I would just want to put a little pause in that and say, we don't get necessarily to some other side. Mm -hmm. We integrate trauma into our experience. 
And that requires a narrative focus. There's mm. a meaning focus. So I don't care if medications can take care of all of the intrusive thoughts and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's great. Let's find those things. And we also have to be meaning makers. Yes. And we've got to do both of those. And I see, unfortunately, a lot of the newer uh, people to our field jumping into the technology without and missing the person maybe in front Ooh. of them. Yeah. So That's I'm, I'm, I'm willing to see that all sorts of things work, you know, EMDR, you know, is, uh, has a lot of uh, data behind it to say that it's effective, but really, I think what we probably will be discovering is that it's the person of the counselor and their capacity to yeah. walk with the therapeutic alliance that we keep seeing over and over. That's mm -hmm. actually the most healing part. So yeah. Well, whether I like that biblical, answer. <laughs> yeah. Whether you're a biblical counselor or an EMDR counselor, you can really mess up if you've not been aware of yourself, aware of what you're trying to do, yeah. aware of the person that you're helping and able yeah. to sit with them. I, uh, I, oh, I asked her, uh, I just real quick, I um, was teaching on, on EMDR and somebody said, well, what's the most effective element of EMDR? And I said, the therapeutic relationship. <laughs> but I got pushback. What were you going to say, Beth? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, if the, hopefully this is not too on the nose, but to quote Diane Langberg, when she talks about three elements that are necessary, right? Like she's, she's, I've heard her say multiple times that talking, tears and time. And that's that when you said, how can we get as quickly as we can to the other side? It's like, Ooh, that I feel the little cringe in myself. It's like, yeah. if we're in a hurry, we're so likely to miss something. And I think that obviously we want people to get better. We want people to find hope in life and be able to function in their daily world. Right. But to, to recognize that, man, and, and that is a gospel concept, right? We see it all through the Bible of relationships, healthy relationships with other people who love the Lord are so important. Healthy relationship with a counselor who can walk with you in wisdom and care for you. These are just important elements that can't be, uh, it's not plug and play. And I think our society wants everything to be plug and play and as quick as possible. And it's all microwave. And instead of actually, this is something that allows us to slow down, which is actually what we need. Um, if we're survivors. Absolutely. I mean, look, our clients want to get better faster too. We're, we're all wanting the same yeah. thing and it's not a bad thing to want, but maybe if we start with some foundational principles like compassion and curiosity mm -hmm. and compassion about what's going on and curiosity about what can make it a little bit better, yeah. we're probably going to make more progress than if we try to rush our way through something. Absolutely. Yeah. And going back to what you said about I so profound about the Christian faith creating potentially uh, a sense of religiosity or a shame that can come of like, I'm not doing it right. I should be doing it better. And I do think that, man, that nothing kills curiosity, at least in my practice with clients, nothing kills curiosity faster than that sense of like, I'm not doing it right. I'm, I'm a screw up. I can't, I'm failure. You know, those kinds of things, which again, are, religious tendencies, I won't even call them Christian tendencies because the Lord doesn't say we're a failure, you know, <laughs> but just those, that sense that we're not getting it right can, can really squash the ability to, to think mm -hmm. creatively about what it means to move forward. So that that's yet another thing that I know you said you spend a lot of time untangling that I do too. We do like with people so much untangling of particular theological things people have learned that may be misaligned or completely inaccurate. So 
That's hugely important. Um, So I'm wondering, Phil, how, as you think about your, what did you say, 23 years Right? Is that what you said in terms of how long you've been in practice? years at this practice, yes. At this, yeah. Okay, so more than that, but you've got years and years of experience. Um, as a Christian psychologist, when you think about the scope of those years, what have you noticed that's changed on the in the landscape of trauma care, but specifically even as you look at how the church views, you mentioned it, like, you know, Langberg was a, a trailblazer in terms of even bringing to the attention of the church, this idea of trauma and abuse and that sort of thing. So I'm curious if you have any just words of wisdom for those of us that are newer to the field, like as you think about how things have changed and the trajectory that you're noticing, anything there? Yeah. Well, when I went to Wheaton college to become a psychologist, I had been a biblical counselor first and um, when I made that uh, move there to learn more, I had more than one person come up to me and ask me if I'd lost my faith. Mm. Uh, so what's changed is there's a, certainly a greater openness to the fact that somebody could be a Christian psychologist, faithful to the scriptures, and also interested in what the science of psychology uh, could teach me. Um, the We still do see vestiges of that sort of like um, even last week, somebody asked me a question, did I see myself as a biblical counselor? And I said, well, no, I actually don't, uh, wouldn't use that label. I'm a, I'm a Christian psychologist and, oh, so you're a secular therapist. No, I'm not that either. <laughs> <laughs> and so it became an interesting conversation to help them because they had little labels, but they didn't yeah. really know much beneath that. And it was a fun conversation to talk about how, uh, we often categorize things and miss mm. miss the whole. So I think there's been a lot of movement there, a lot of openness, a lot of interest in the body, somatic psychotherapy, things like that um, that I'm seeing in there. But still, there's there's fears somehow that coming to counseling or taking a medication that is designed to help me feel less anxious or less depressed is going to mess with my faith. Mm. Uh, we're still working in that area, but. Yeah. There's a lot of room and we aren't instantly seen as enemies of the faith uh, for doing the work we've done. Mm-hmm. And I do see the church more interested in knowing how can we help hurting people um, and what can you offer us and not seeing us as a threat. That's so good. So, good. so helpful. Phil, thank you so much for your years and years of mm-hmm. care and wisdom and love for people who are hurting and the work that you've done both in the States and internationally, just just pray all the Lord's blessings over you and your ministry. And I'm so grateful for your willingness to be with us today, mm-hmm. to volunteer your time. And uh, we're so grateful for you. And listeners, we're gonna put his information in the show notes, including his blog, if you wanna go read that post. And I'm certain there's others too that will be so helpful for you. Uh, learn about what he does and the wisdom that he offers. And again, thank you, Phil. Just so appreciate your time today. Yes, yes, for sure. Enjoyed it. Hmm. All right. So listeners, we will uh, talk to you again next week. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening to Council for Life. 
We want to invite you to become a friend of the podcast by subscribing to our Patreon. Subscribers get to participate in quarterly Zoom calls with the hosts, where you can ask questions and engage in topics related to past or upcoming episodes. Subscribers are also automatically entered into drawings for free books and resources. For more information, visit www.counselforlifepodcast.com. And as always, be sure you stay in the loop by hitting that like and subscribe button so you never miss an episode.